Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Episode 8. Frank Forte of Asylum Press and Chuck Lindsay of Mainframe Comic Con. Welcome along to Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. I don't have a cup of tea to hand because I've been running around all weekend and I haven't even had the chance to put the kettle on. Um, but don't worry, I think we'll be fine. Um, considering that uh, this week and this weekend has been a bit of a strange one, um, I'm still working on a bit of a mental hangover from the third day. Uh, I tried to catch up with as much of the 12 hour live broadcast that was put up on Sky and HBO yesterday. So that's been a bit of a creative head spin. Um, I've also been preparing for a panel which I'm presenting for the Lakes International Comic Art Festival next weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, there's also loads of other conventions and things I've been distracted by. Hopefully you've been distracted by other things than the things that are in the uh, the national news. Hopefully you're finding some way to decompress from uh, the national uh, conversation. Uh, well, indeed, the worldwide conversation. Hopefully this is a show which will allow you to kind of decompress for an hour or so and talk Comic-Cons, con culture and all the stuff and nonsense that we get to enjoy. Some great um, guests on the way to talk to, uh, but first thing first, I do want to say hello to everyone who's watching because this is your show as always and we want to welcome you. Clyde Nees joining us, hello. Um, it's a pleasure to have you joining us, Clyde. Uh, we've got Michael P, good morning from Colorado Springs. And uh, we've got uh, Into the Blue Mister, hello from a horrible, dark, rainy whale. Spent the afternoon watching North by Northwest on the BBC iPlayer, time well spent. I totally get it. Um, certainly, I mean, considering that uh, the debate was on Tuesday, hasn't this week been a great month? Um, it's just been non-stop. It's just been uh, a full uh, foray of uh, bits and pieces. But that's also when it comes to uh, conventions which are coming up. Um, I've got a dock open with um, a full five weeks worth of non-stop conventions all happening online. Um, we've got festivals, we've got cartoonist exhibitions, lots of stuff that's happening. And it's really kind of proving that... Uh, there is so much distraction still happening, even though we're not heading out to conventions. Uh, so much uh, content that we're getting to enjoy. Not only uh, in terms of uh, television shows and uh, uh, virtual conventions, but also some great comics and uh, some great comic art, which is why it's a joy to welcome my first guest to the show. Uh, we've got Frank Forte joining us. Hello there, Frank, how are you, sir? Oh, hang on a second. Try again. There hey, we go. How are you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing okay myself. <laughs> um, yes, uh, it's like I say, proving so much things happening in the space. It's almost like life's happening at warp speed at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's What's things uh, in your uh, sphere of influence at the moment? Because I mean, the reason why we've got you on the show today is because you're a particularly busy chap yourself. Yeah, a little too busy, right? <laughs> broadcasting here. This is my little studio from uh, in Glendale, California. Um, but yeah, during COVID, I mean, COVID's crazy, right? Like, what, what what are you supposed to do? You try to remain positive. You try to get stuff done. You try to, like, focus. And then you, you can't focus. I mean, it's crazy. So, 
you know, I try to, uh, you know, stay busy. I haven't been working in uh, doing storyboards for animation and film because, you know, a lot of the, the productions have been shut down, especially live action. Animation's been going. So I've been using this time to really create comics, do drawings, work on pitches. I wrote a couple of anthology books in prose. I started, I haven't written prose in a while, so I did that. So I've been trying to focus and, and really get things done. I did a month of original cartoons on YouTube. So, you know, you it, with this time where I'm not working, I'm trying to use it to my yeah. advantage. Well, that was something that I was going to bring up because everything that we've been talking to people um, certainly over the course of the summer and talking about the content that we're going to be enjoying going forward to the rest of 2020, 2021, uh, everyone's just been saying animation is going to be huge pure, purely because of the, the, the fact that most of the talent are all, have all been locked indoors, studios have been shut down um, and when it comes to animation, it's something that can be done remotely. Um, so yeah, we were expecting the animation boom of 2021 to uh, be uh, uh, just around the corner. Um, but um, I mean, for yourself, uh, I mean, like I said in my introduction, um, busy bee, but also when it comes to the the stuff that you're doing with Asylum Press, um, right. which is the thing that I'm really wanting to talk to you about because what Asylum's doing at the moment is just oh, incredible. Oh. But also for heavy metal as well, with the the kind of refocusing. Yeah. And the way that that has been uh, shifting. But uh, we'll get all into that. We'll introduce you first. Uh, for everyone who doesn't perhaps know who Frank Forte is, introduce yourself, sir. So, uh, Frank Forte, I'm a writer, artist, comic artist, <clears throat> animator, storyboard artist. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff over the years. And, um, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I worked in comics in the 90s doing... Uh, a lot of the black and white, during the black and white horror boom, I did Vampire Versus, worked with Cry for Dawn, Boneyard Press, a bunch of independent uh, publishers. Um, and, you know, I found it really hard to, you know, make a living in comics. Even though I loved it, it was really difficult, especially being indie. Uh, so around 2002, I moved out to L.A. and tried to get work uh, doing storyboards, um, which was pretty... It was, it was uh, definitely, there was more work, it was lucrative, there was a union, you could have benefits. So I started working in animation and kind of moved my way up to uh, working in, in film and, and feature TV, feature animation, and live action film. Um, and then, uh, you know, always loved heavy metal, started getting stories in heavy metal, and then Kevin Eastman asked me to edit some issues. And then when the ownership changed over, I just stayed on. So I always I bring in short stories, serials, and then Asylum Press is my own company where I pub. We haven't really put out books in a while. We put out Fearless Dawn and some other books, but we're working on making a comeback in 2021. I would say maybe late 2020. And we're going to run some Kickstarter. I'd, I'd, I'd say you're, you're kicking back at the engine about now. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, we're, 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 we're putting out some stuff digitally, we're on Webtoon, so we're just kind of, you know, trying to feed the, put out content in a way that we, people could get back into us and be reacquainted with us, because we've been out of the Diamond Previews catalog for quite some time, so it's about reacquainting with our fans, bringing in new fans and saying, hey, this is coming out soon. Uh, I mean, how would you def how would you explain what Asylum Press is? Because right. I mean, for myself, the title the titles are. I mean, it's great to have a horror mm -hmm. label out there because it's something which is 
kind yeah. of un underserved. It's still kind of under the uh, the shadow of uh, uh, previous decades of horror comics. So I got a little show and tell here if you guys want to see some stuff. Uh, yeah, Isle of the yeah. Horrors. This was one of our books that uh, came out um, I don't know, like 2008, but you know, horror anthology, you know, um, just a lot of really cool uh, writers and artists from all over the world doing horror. Um, so we had a really, we had a good time with this one. Um, Detox was featured in Heavy Metal. This is a post-apocalyptic uh, type of, um, you know, not, not really so much a Mad Max, but post-apocalyptic warrior who tries to cleanse the earth of the mutants. You know, so Nina Dusunja is the artist, and he's uh, based in Croatia. But this was really fun, and two chapters of this were actually published in Heavy Metal. Um, Fearless Dawn, as you know, this is Steve Mannion. We did probably a four-issue miniseries and then a bunch of the black and white stuff. This was the four-issue color series. And as you know, Steve Mannion, Fearless Dawn is now with Albatross Books, but they just put out a, uh, Fearless Dawn meets Hellboy. But these are some of Asylum Press's books, Fearless Dawn, Fearless Dawn Chibi Finale. This is another book. Oh, Zombie Terrors. This was a horror book that we did, uh, zombie anthology. And the cover was Ali Fell. He's uh, he's from the UK. You probably know Ali. Yeah. So he did our cover, you know, and this is just a great zombie anthology of, you know, writers and artists from all over the world, kind of in the vein of heavy metal. But, you know, um, just a cool zombie, you know, post-apocalyptic book. Because, well, I, I mean, the books that I've read from Asylum Press, uh, I mean, they definitely sit in the the kind of the the same shelf space as heavy metal because there is it, it's not so it's not a, a straight b movie wham bam kind right. of uh, uh set of stories they they they've got some real grit and texture to them yeah, which sure. i think is um uh, certainly that i it feels as that what you have brought for asylum press and um I, i'm guessing that's kind of the tone that you're going for that there's some real texture to the, these stories yeah like uh you know like Warlash is one that's kind of like a robocop meets judge dread i've always loved judge dread so this is kind of like influenced by that type of stuff um eek but yeah like eek is a is a horror anthology by jason paulos and he's from australia and one of the cool things about eek was that he draws in all these different styles so it kind of like it almost seems like there's a bunch of different artists but it's all him just kind of mimicking the style of an old house of mystery or eerie and creepy. And I just love this book. If you like old eeries and creepies and house of mystery, Eek is great. Um, I, I, I did like that book because it is very much cool, it's right? harking back. It's harking back to the old like the old EC stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. So um, yeah, but most of the stuff we've done, I would say, yeah, is horror and sci-fi. But like then we have this book, which is a oh, farmhouse written by my wife, Elizabeth, and illustrated by Simon Kudransky. Oh, wait. <laughs> there you go. Kudransky, who did Spawn and Batman, he did this book early on before he got really big. And this is kind of like a dark thriller. So this is kind of like a dark character drama, but a thriller. Um, so this is kind of like Asylum Press expanding into, you know, more uh, character-driven stories, uh, you know, thrillers 
dark drama, stuff like that. So we are going to be expanding because while we love horror and sci-fi, and I do, you know, I think as a publisher, you kind of have to expand a little bit so that you can widen your audience and, and just, you know, make uh, comics and stories that are, you know, just a wider range of stories, I guess. I'm I'm curious as to why that you've um, decided to put them all under uh, an, uh, the Asylum Press banner instead of say creating a second title because Asylum very much has set itself a great stall um, and really has set its it it's put itself out there uh, for a very certain uh, for a certain style of um, uh, storytelling and comics. I'm wondering why you didn't say go for a second uh, umbrella to kind of take these new stories on. Yeah, like an imprint. I, I don't yeah. know. Like, I don't know if Asylum Press will ever be like super huge, like IDW or something like that. You know, th those guys probably you gotta think. You gotta think big, man. I, I don't know though. I, if, when you get too big, you run the risk of. I mean, look, anything can happen, right? But I sure. always see myself as kind of a small publisher, publishing niche titles, doing really good stories. And look, if the books do well and I'm making money and I could do more stuff fine you know but um i think getting an imprint is like i don't know how many like will i do 20 titles like this if i did then maybe if i if i'm only going to do maybe five i just don't know if an imprint is right it's just a lot of work because with an imprint this is what happens then you need to get the social right the imp the social needs the imprint then the website then more press releases and more logos and then more you know you're then you create a third imprint and you're like, I got to get all the social for that. And it just becomes this crazy, it just, it just gets nuts. So I would think I would rather just keep it under a silent for now. Like the way vault does, like I guess vault does have an imprint now or like black mask, you know, black mask is doing that kind of stuff or aftershock. I don't know if aftershock has an imprint, but they publish all sorts of stuff, right? Sci-fi fantasy horror. But it's all under aftershock. So I think with aftershock, I mean, it, it's it's proving difficult for them because they are stretching out into so many different genres oh, and right. so yeah. different. And it's it's, it's difficult it's difficult to corral all of those under one one banner. Yeah, interesting. Um, I didn't I didn't perceive that they would have a problem. Maybe look at Image though. Image doesn't really have imprints, and they do all sorts of stuff, right? Yeah, except for Skybound. And I guess you have the little studio still. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's. I think it, the reason is having imprints is a little too much work. Although I will say that we do have a children's book imprint that we're doing in that because that's a children's book type stuff. That that's going to be an imprint because it's so much different. Like you couldn't have an ABC book under Asylum Press. That yeah. So that is something I'm I'm working on, and we're we're getting some children's books. Like to, we're going to be on Library Pass, and we're going to be on some other apps digitally, and go to print later. But I am, you know, uh, looking into doing some stuff like that. We're, we're creating some titles right now, actually. Sure, um, Asylum Press as well. It's um, it's going under a number of the digital um, platforms, and also. Uh, going out to, to print as well. Um, you, you're kind of steering the, the whole uh, Kickstarter and crowdfunding effort that uh, everyone else seems to be uh, going at. What are the challenges of making, uh, of get relaunching and kind of putting the uh, 
the asylum press banner back out into uh, the, the 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 kind of the landscape of comics at the moment what's the biggest challenge would you find because there are so many um titles vying for uh, space out there at the moment especially considering we are seeing the kind of the engine of uh, the comics industry so kicking back up again after covid yeah, well, I, yeah, right. It's definitely different, difficult during COVID because you've got a lot of stores closed, bookstores closed. I mean, I think it's a matter of hitting social all the time, hitting my newsletter, trying to build up the newsletter so that you have a fan base that will go out and buy the comics when they're available. And also press releases. You have to send out press releases. You have to get press coverage. We're doing trailers for YouTube. I mean, it's kind of hitting everything and trying to get your core fan base. I think it's it's a lot of it is about building the newsletter list, building building your your your, your newsletter list of your core fans that will come out and support your titles, and just hitting it out there with social, updating the website, getting the SEO so people can find you, and then once the books are out, making sure that they get good reviews, making sure that people they're available everywhere because. We might, what we're thinking about is doing, at least for now, less floppies and more like collective trades like this, so that we're available in comic stores and bookstores right off the bat. Floppies are great and we'll do them, but it's nice to have these collections where you could just, you know, be in a bookstore and a comic store at the same time. Because I think comic stores are limited because there's only about, what, 2,000 of them in the States, and it's kind of hard to get them to buy it because of the, the non-returnability factor with Diamond. But with bookstores, books are returnable, so more stores are apt to stock you, so you're on the shelves and you can be purchased. So I do kind of like both factors of the bookstore and the comic book store. And as for Kickstarter, oh, we're, we're gonna do it. We're, we're you are, yeah. doing one for uh, Beyond Doomsday is, that's another thing I was, I was here to promote too, is Beyond Doomsday is a website, beyonddoomsday.com. And that's a post-apocalyptic news site that you can go to and get everything post-apocalyptic. But it's also a collected edition of my stories. Yeah, there it is. So Beyond Doomsday, if you sign up for the newsletter, um, you can get a free – you get a bunch of free digital comics, actually. And Ryan Brown, also from the U.K., did the cover, an amazing cover. Uh, by the way, who now he's like huge, right? Marvel, DC is all over the place. I mean, Ryan Brown is massive. So we're hoping, hoping that like his cover will help sell books. And like, um, uh, this is definitely going to be a Kickstarter because, you know, I, I don't know how many it could sell and just if you can get the fans to help launch it. We could use the money for promotion, for printing, for storing, for a marketing campaign, you know, otherwise it would be difficult. But I mean, we've got some amazing names in it, right? And, and, and like, I would say half of these stories were featured in heavy metal. Like I had them printed in heavy metal. And then the other half is going to be all new stuff. So it's stuff that was in heavy metal and then a bunch of new stuff that you've never seen before. And we're using writers and artists from all over the world again. So it's got the heavy metal vibe, but also the vibe of like, you know, epic illustrated or eerie and creepy, but all with post-apocalyptic sci-fi vibe, you know? So that'll be our first, I think that'll be Asylum Press's first foray back into publishing and from that i think yeah i would I, I i wouldn't say i'm not i'm opposed to putting almost every book on kickstarter because if you could get the fan base it's nice to have a little seed money five thousand ten thousand 
to help you get the book out there, you know? Sure. I mean, we, we had this conversation uh, last week because we had uh, Elsa Chaterier uh, joining us uh, on the show, who obviously has had a, a very successful Kickstarter uh, in the course of the last week. Um, and the, the what we kind of discussed was that uh, Kickstarter, is, while it's there to obviously raise a capital or uh, pay artists and writers, etc. It's more very much about the, the conversation with your audience and it's very much uh, creating that one-to-one -one connection and finding the, the, the kind of interest and finding what an audience is uh, uh, wanting to uh, to go out. And so that's what uh, we're, we're certainly seeing from uh, successful um, crowdfunding and Kickstarter campaigns. Which is why I'm really curious about Asylum Press and about um, uh, Doomsday because um, get I mean I had this conversation with someone on social media this week about um, horror titles and um, uh, sorry certainly um, niche sci-fi titles as well. Yeah. In that it's very difficult to actually get those in the stores. There's it's a, a genre which is very difficult to grab people's attention. I mean obviously once you've uh, kind of got there. Uh, their, their eyeballs on you that's fine but just to kind of it sometimes horror is something that is still treated very much as a bit of a niche um uh, a, a project in in comics uh, what's been the the challenge to get people's attention to asylum press um as a horror title um, or has a series of horror titles um when horror isn't necessarily the strongest um uh, genre out there at the moment yeah, right. Well, back when we were publishing, like, for one thing, I always think a great cover uh, sells the book. And Ali Fell, in my opinion, man, he's one of the best out there. I just love his covers. He does girls great. He does horror great. And he renders. This is another cover he did. He renders. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and, um, you know, oh, he did Eek. Like, look at all the covers he did for us. Eek, you know. Um, and then... Let's see. Oh, like, and then like Warlash. This, this wasn't Ali Fell, but this was another like rendered cover. I think covers are very important. I think you have to have the interiors, but I also think for comic stores, you have to really nurture a relationship with the retailers in that you show them a full preview of the book. Just give it away. This is what the book is. It's done. We're going to ship on time. And you can follow that up with promotional material in the stores like posters, uh, postcards. Um, now a lot of stores have video screens in their stores, so you can upload video and trailers and, you know, 1920 by 1080 um, promotional images where stores run promotional images. So it's about doing the, knowing. Doing everything and anything, man, yeah. Doing anything and anything and knowing, like, like I didn't know that, oh, stores have run videos for, it's mainly for, um promoting the gaming like like gaming is very integrated with stores where they run trailers and like 1920 by 1080 ads so now that i know that stores have these video things in there i'm like well i'll send you some will you run them and they're like of course we will we want to do that so you have to kind of know figure out ways to get there but posters is a big thing stores still like posters people think that they don't want them but but you can't make them too big like they have to be you know, uh, legal size, small, because if you make a giant poster, stores are like, we don't have room for that. So you have to know that a store wants a small poster that they can put up for a month and take down. That will fit in this little area. Look at a comic store. There's no room for anything. So you have to know what will fit and what they can use. And I think it's a matter of doing that, doing trailers, and then just 
letting people know that it's in the stores is this constant promotional battle. And, you know, there are Facebook groups like Final Order Cutoff where you can just let the retailers know, like with comic stores, it's very important to let the retailers know what's coming in so they can stock the item. But at the same time, you know, I, I think because in Diamond and with previews, it's very difficult to get your titles in stores because they're non-returnable, right? So stores have sure. the money, and if they don't sell it, they're going to lose the money. So you really have to convince them that this book is going to sell for them to order it. With bookstores, it's different. They're returnable. They'll stock 10 issues of it. If it doesn't sell, they ship them back. It's not that big of a risk. So you're, you're always fighting with like, no, listen, this book is good. Order it, please. I know it'll sell. Um, I like the idea that Diamond is now instituting uh, returnability with um, certain publishers can have returnability like Boom. And that's another reason why I think Boom, Image, and I forget exactly who's doing it, but they'll sell like 50,000 of a, of a floppy. That's like unheard of for an indie sci-fi book, but it's because it's returnable. Hey, I'll order 10, 20 of these. If it doesn't sell, I ship it back. That's a great incentive for a store to order a book. If this is five bucks and it costs a store two and they don't sell it, that's money lost, you know? So I think returnability in comic stores, I think, is something that has to be, you know, addressed and talked about and like, hey, you know, why does a, a floppy only sell 2,000 to 2,000 comic stores? That's such a low number. You know, I know the readers are out there. You have to figure out a way to get on those shelves. You know? Absolutely. You, I mean, you've got to get their attention. I think that's the, the, the cool thing. I mean, just a quick comment here from Into the Blue, Mr. Give me a horror title over a superhero title any day of the week. Jo Joe Hill's DC line has been yeah, tracking. Right. No, Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe I Hill, think... I, love those, I love those books. Like DC has a huge, you know, Hill House Comics. It's got this huge, you know, uh, uh, line of, of horror. And I think horror has always been there. It's always been there but yeah like tights and capes always outsell it especially from dc but you could do pretty well with a with a good horror title like look at hellboy that's basically a horror title all the mignola stuff from dark horse is basically horror and you know i think there's there's definitely a place for it there's a huge fan base for horror i mean it's look at movies movies is big look at stephen king and look at all the horror shows on tv like uh netflix or the haunting of hill house or all the blumhouse movies there is a fan base out there for horror, but for comics, it's smaller. But you just got to find that fan base and just just draw them in, you know. Absolutely. Uh, certainly, one way one way that um, uh, publishers, when they have been wanting to relaunch, is using conventions to get that um, the, the the product into people's hands, where they can actually physically see it and get there. How difficult are you finding? relaunching Asylum Press when there are no shows in 2020 at the moment? Is it something that's really hurt you in terms of getting books and into the eyeballs of people? Or is it something that um, is a, a distraction that's actually kind of uh, been to your favor? I don't know. Yeah, difficult. I don't like not having conventions. I really like interacting with people and you can sell books. But again, like Asylum hasn't really printed a new book in a while. Most of the stuff that we put out is either a digital book, a print-on-demand book, where you can get it on Amazon, or we're really just trying to unload back issues, um, and we're giving discounts 15 20%. We're running a lot of sales on the newsletter. So we're trying to just move the old books and get them into people's hands who maybe have not seen it and be like, this is what we published. Stick around for some of the new stuff. 
So yeah, like Chopper, Zombie Terror, Satan Gone Wild is uh, another anthology that we put together called Satan Circus of Hell. So you can see a bunch of the titles that we've done are available online. And if you sign up for the newsletter, we, we're, you know, like I said, you'll get a discount for the store. And there's like Blake Dixon, that's a preview for a new title. Like if you want to click on that, uh, you could see some of, I think I have one page or a couple pages. This is like some of the new stuff. So this is, this is going to be featured, one story will be featured in Beyond Doomsday. Or maybe, is there any more? Uh, on that page, no. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I mean, and we're going to post some more stuff. So that's like a kind of a Mad Max inspired, you know, post. I, I mean, I'm not ashamed about it. It is like my version of Mad Max. Like this guy is like kicking ass in a future world, you know, but, but in, in different than Mad Max, there's zombies and vampires and magic and mysticism. So like all the paranormal stuff, it's like Mad Max with paranormal, you know, if you want to, if you want like the, the log line or the pitch. Um, so I, I think it's hard without conventions. I mean, I would like being there, you know, but we just have to wait it out. What can I do? I can run a Kickstarter. I can sell the books online. I can do these kinds of things where I'm interacting, but yeah, it's different. I mean, LA Comic Con, they were trying to do it in December. They're trying to get the go ahead and set up to have a table there. Yeah, heaven, heaven knows that conversation we'll be having. Uh, uh, we've got um, uh, the next conversation we're going to be having here yeah, on the yeah. show about yeah. the, the, the the shows that are coming up later on this year. And LA Comic Con will definitely be coming up in... in, in and we'll, uh, we'll happen. I don't know. I'll be set up. I'll have a mask. I'll have a, I'll have a window, I guess, like in front of my table with a little thing where I could to sell, you know, transact money, just like you see in retail stores. I'll do, I'll, I'll do it. I mean, I'll be there to try to figure out a way to get through this, you know? I don't sure. know. Yeah, I don't know if LA is going to give the go-ahead to um, uh, let the convention happen. So, it's, uh, it's definitely a gray area on that particular uh, conversation. Um, when it comes to a silent press then, and you, you're wanting to make that... Um, uh, that real big strong impact. I mean, what's the the first books which uh, are coming from Asylum, uh, which you are uh, setting the stall with? Yeah, right. So uh, Beyond Doomsday would be one of them. Uh, Farmhouse, which we never released in print, is a two hundred page uh, graphic novel that would probably be kickstarted as well. Uh, Black Powder is another book that Dwayne Harris did about a um, uh, buccaneer type character in the eighteen twelves. Um, that's a graphic novel that's done. Uh, Undead Evil is another one that will be, uh, it's a black and white, like Lovecraftian zombie tale, like, like voodoo zombies, I guess you could say, not traditional George A. Romero zombies. Yeah, there's Black Carter. A Hex of the Wicked Witch is another one. That's a black and white horror series that we're trying to finish up. Uh, Billy Boy will be another collected trade. So, you know, not all these have been announced yet or there's previews, but so there's like five or six titles that we'll be doing as, you know, trade paperbacks that will be part of it. And we'll probably kickstart each of them. I would say that's a great way to do it. If we could get the fan base behind us. It's just like, it was like, like I say, it's a really good way as well to determine the, the, the interest in titles, which ones are uh, definitely are connecting with an audience. That's true too. Sure. Uh, we've got Solistra Smeg who's uh, watching. Uh, if you're into horror, I've been hearing good things about Stillwater Skybound. I, I can find it on eBay or something. Uh, I mean, like I, I say, the, 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 
the, the titles that I would uh, was uh, bringing up was um, uh, maybe a couple of older titles. You know, like uh, Winnebago Graveyard from Image, um, which is uh, is another well, one. Uh, but um, the the things that you're doing with um, Asylum, um, I think it, it's just because they are so different from everything else that's on the uh, the shelves at the moment. Well, I think that's right. where. Asylum yeah. is going to uh, uh, suddenly get people's attention. Yeah, I think well, like Asylum of Horrors and stuff and some of the other stuff like Fearless Dawn, they always did pretty well once they got to stores like Asylum of Horrors. Like, I'll give that book out to some comic stores, you know, as um, on consignment, and they'll always say it sells out. I mean, I think it's a matter of, you know, you look at the Alley Fell cover, even Zombie Terrors, the Alley Fell cover, the fact that it's zombies and, and the interiors are great. I mean, look at Tim Vigil's story. I think you have to, you know, you have to have a great cover. You have to have great uh, interiors, you know. Um, so they always sold well when they got there. Even being an indie, you know, Diamond was impressed with the numbers we would turn out. So I think it's a matter of just reacquainting people. Yeah. Know, with, with the brand and the product. So that's why we're just trying to get the books out. We have an eBay store. We're trying to sell on Instagram. Just be like, Hey, if you haven't heard of us, check us out. We'll, we'll give, you know, 20%, 15% off. You could be reacquainted with the titles and then support us for the new stuff. Well, I mean, it's certainly, like I say, something that's um, caught my attention um, over the course of the last uh, uh, couple of weeks, because oh, a couple yeah, of, about a month or so, because what Asylum Press is doing um, it just to get their, the, your name back out into into the uh, into people's uh, right, so eyeline is on you. You hadn't heard of Asylum Press before a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. Like, well, we've been out of it for a while. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, then, then Detox, you know, another title. This this was a number zero that we put out, and it's available digitally. But this would be another one that would be like a trade that we're working on finishing. But, you know, we're just waiting for the right time, you know. Um, and then Billy Boy, you know, this is, this is a number three that I kick-started a few years ago. That's almost done. But this would be collected into a trade. You know, I like the fact of having these hardcovers that, you know, it's, it's like floppies are difficult because you could sell them for the month. They're hot. Then you got a, a, a warehouse full of these that you can't sell. But with hardcovers or trades, you could sell those for years. You could put yeah. them in, you know, bookstores. You could bring them in. It's a higher price point. You sell one of these, it's 15 bucks, 15 bucks. Here you go all this and it's three bucks. So it's better to have like a bunch of these at a convention, just higher price points. You can help make your money back. Conventions are expensive, you know. Sure. So, I, I the, certainly the the books that I've the, the book that I was most uh, taken with is the one that we've talked about, which is uh, Beyond Lovecraft. As a Kalithu okay. fan, as a love as a Lovecraft fan, um, it's uh, it's certainly the one. There you go. There you go. So yeah, that's this, an uh, that's an anthology of stories that's uh, of uh, that have been inspired by uh, Cthulhu and uh, by Lovecraft. Yep. Yeah, there were there were stories that. Some of them were comic book stories that I had written in the 90s and they were published and I converted them to prose. Um, so Dead Thing, The Experiment, <clears throat> and then a bunch of new stories that I wrote that just like inspired by, you know, Lovecraft, like um, uh, Shocking Terrors number 13 is about a guy who goes to a convention to find this, you know, old pulp magazine that's supposedly haunted that has this horror story in it that's so horrific that anyone that reads it goes crazy but 
all the copies have been destroyed because it's haunted. But he gets a lead that he thinks Shocking Terrors number 13 is somewhere. So he goes to these conventions, and it's based on what I always do is go to conventions looking through boxes for these, like, rare issues. And it's kind of like that mindset where he's looking for this haunted uh, issue. So that's one in, like, Incident at the Haxford Inn. It's just like, you know, I, I read a lot of Lovecraft over the past few months. I also worked on Lovecraft Country, so I was reacquainted with stuff inspired by Lovecraft. And um, just created these stories, and, and it was like, again, like, I'm sitting around, I'm like, let me tackle, let me try to tackle prose. I know I can write stories, can I write prose? So uh, that's one of them. Well, heaven knows with uh, Lovecraft Country, we know that uh, people are starting to find out more about uh him, him as a writer and his kind yeah, of the, the stuff that he's putting out there. Um, is there anything else that you can share with us? Um, yeah, before... I've got some, if you guys wanted to see, I've got some storyboards that I worked on for Lovecraft Country. I'll try to do a screen share here. Go for it. Share screen. And that we can yeah. add. There we go. This is, these are some storyboards from the first episode of Lovecraft Country. Um, the Korean, the war scene. So maybe I'll zoom in on these. Let's see. Maybe this is better. There you go. So these are kind of like just some shots. And not all of these were used, but these are just like Atticus going through the trenches, killing people. This is another version that wasn't necessarily, um, let me do this. Planes overhead, bombs going off. He sees this whole thing with the uh, spaceships and everything. Spaceships coming over. And then Jiha floats down. This was kind of in the movie like this, but they made her red. You know, they changed a few things. And then behind Atticus, creature comes up. The creature design was a little different. And then, like, this is this is a board, like, this board right here, this right here. This was um, Eric Yamamoto, I think. There a bunch of board guys did takes on this scene, and this is just my take. And that's um, Jackie Robinson. You know, this is kind of a mixture of my board and Eric Yamamoto's storyboard. So that's that. Um, that was from the first episode. This here, this is from, so, you know, like I said, a storyboard is kind of like a basic outline for the director, DP, and visual effects guys to use when they get on set to decide what to shoot and how the visual effects will work with the live action. So it's just like this template that is used to help everybody out to know what's going on. How, how have you how have you felt that the translation has been to screen? What have you what have you thought about the series in its completed form? I mean, I love it. I think it's great. You know, it, it changes from the book. I read the book, and it goes off and it does its own thing, but then comes back to the book. So there's a lot of stuff that is in there that's not in the book. But I love what they did with it. I think it's really cool. You know, I'm liking it. I'm about three episodes behind, but I think we like I said right at the beginning of the show. Um, the amount of content that's out there at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing catch up with a lot of stuff at the moment. So uh, right. I'm, I'm uh, several episodes behind on that one. But yeah, no, 
Doom Patrol is another one I didn't watch the second season of yet. Um, there's so much content. Now you have so much time, you can watch a lot of stuff. So, sure. yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, but Lovecraft Country, I'm there every week. Like, tonight, I'll be there. Because I worked on the show. You know, I want to see what they did. Like, like the last episode when they were in outer space, you know, or the dance sequence when she was in the Moulin Rouge type thing. Like, I storyboarded that sequence. So that was kind of cool. Oh, no, See, these are these are the ones I haven't seen yet. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I mean, we want to point people in the direction of Asylum Press. The uh, the URL is right there on the screen, asylumpress.com. Uh, we definitely want to uh, point people as well towards uh, um, uh, Beyond Doomsday as well, because um, that's looking like a really exciting project. Um, where where else is the best place for people to find out, number one, what you're up to and what Asylum Press is up to? Yeah, so AsylumPress.com, you know, signing up for the newsletter is the best way. Or just go to the website. We update the news blog frequently and you can see previews and behind the scenes stuff. Um, uh, Frank Forte Art uh, at Instagram, Frank Forte Art at Twitter. Um, those are my social frankforte.com is another one. And oh yeah, the, the goon cartoons. I want, I don't know if we have time. Can I promote one more? Sure. Absolutely. Go for it. So goon cartoons, I'll go here. This is my, um, my animation website. This is, I don't know if you want to, yeah, there it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is kind of like where I do my animation. So goon cartoons, you know, if you go to, uh, uh you guys, I know, uh, cut it out. If you go to cut it out. Um, oh, thanks, man. Lovecraft Country is awesome. That's great. Um, yeah, cut it out. Episode two. If you want to play that, this is totally inspired by Monty Python and the um, the animations that were done by Terry Gilliam. I loved Monty Python growing up. I loved Young Ones. I loved uh, you know uh, Benny Hill and all that stuff. But but th this kind of animation is inspired by the Monty Python stuff. So I did like the cut it out kind of things that uh, Terry Gilliam did and kind of updated it. But this is one show. We also have Ultra Mega Super Squad, which is like a parody of um, uh, superhero. Uh, that, one, that one I'm aware of. That one I'm very aware of. You know, this we kind of update once a week. But if you like animation and you subscribe, you'll see all sorts of Adult Swim, uh, uh, you know, uh, what, what can I say? Adult Swim or um, Liquid Television type, you know, cartoons. We do parodies of Cuphead, parodies of, you know, Rick and Morty, all sorts of stuff like that. But um, I don't know. Is it possible to play a little bit of that one? Um, I think um, you may have to close that window uh, and reopen it. There is actually a button that says Share Audio. Okay. Um, if right. you do that, then you should the, the audio should be able to come through as well. And then to the, to the stream. Okay, it's my. I'm I'm in control. Are you hearing anything? Cut it out. Yes, we are. So this is kind of like. I can definitely see the Gilliam influence. I told him to be himself. That was pretty mean, I guess. I love good snacking. Snacking is the most wonderful thing. 
You know what else is wonderful? The moon. I think the moon is so lovely. If I could, I'd get out of my home and look at the moon, but we were told we weren't supposed to leave our home because there's danger outside, wars and fighting and such. It's a bunch of little shorts like that. So that's, that's cut it out. That's one thing. Well, you know, you can see totally inspired by um, Monty Python. This is another one, the Ultra Mega Super Squad. So this is kind of You're like... Uh, without insurance. That's, like getting a Ooh, that's an advert. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, but... Can you erase it? It's a tad. Oh, I can't even forward through it. What the heck? Ah. Don't you just love it on uh, YouTube? Uh, you got you got Solicitor Smeg that's saying I could totally see this on Adult Swim. Yeah, it's, it's definitely got that Adult Swim vibe. The Ultra Mega Super. So this is like another little trailer for one of the. Uh, we have the episode one done. This is just a trailer. These astounding heroes have been assembled to avenge the unavengeful, the ultra mega super squad. So that's kind of funny, you know. So we have little. What's not polite? You know, we have little. Gamma woman. Exposed to deadly gamma rays during a super secret government experiment, but she didn't die. She was granted superpowers. No, I don't turn big and green when I get angry. Not all gamma-exposed humans become dumb, hulking brutes. God, I mean, people are so gamma-phobic. But you know, Goon Cartoons overall, I'll just go through these quick. You know, we have like Buck Billy. I think all these are going to show adverts. So Buck yeah. Billy is kind of like this head well, guy. I was walking through my neighborhood the other day and I saw the- You know, so that's one thing. Cut it out. We do like these Cuphead parodies, right? Old cartoons like based on... You make them look like old cartoons, but it's like that. And some of them are really short. Like that was that cartoon was not more than like a few seconds. Wow. No, the, uh, this, the, definitely an adult swim vibe to, the, uh, to these... Watch the NBA Finals. Uh, and then we get adverts, of course. All right, all right. Okay. Um, no, anyway, it's, it's cool. But, 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 can you just put that back to the top of the uh, page so we can just see where people to to head to? Oh, it's just, uh, if you go to Goon Cartoons. Goon Cartoons. And search Goon Cartoons, it'll come up. And, you know, sure, subscribe. And, you know, we publish one or two new cartoons a week. Um, Excellent. So that is the other thing. That I'm doing. It's, it's, like, it's like you say, you, you, you're keeping yourself incredibly busy um, <laughs> with what, you, what you're getting up to. I mean, you, you, you're looking like the, the weekend's I mean, nearly taken I, out of you already. I mean, I like to be creative. I work all the time. I love comics, but I have to make money doing the storyboards. But then I also was in animation, so I like creating animation. And now I'm writing books. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm crazy. I don't know. Something <laughs> wrong with me or something. I don't know. I like to be creative. And now this time, if, if you don't, with COVID, like if you don't try to focus out of the news and the world and try to be creative, you're going to go crazy. Like I know a lot of people, they're depressed or they're losing their minds. And, and I get there too, but I just try to like block it out and try to make believe that I, I just have my own, give yourself your deadlines and just do it, you know? 
You're doing so right. I'm definitely able to get stuff done on my own with my own projects. I've always been able to do that. I've got this inner drive or something that just keeps me going. Where other people are like, oh, I'm not motivated. You just got to motivate yourself. You just got to be like, I'm going to do this because I want to. <laughs> and sure. Then, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, certainly from uh, what I've seen on uh, on your Instagram and certainly on on your your social media, it's well worth everyone checking out Frank Forte Art on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And once again, just to point that out, asylumpress.com. It's got some great books uh, on the way. Um, like uh, Frank has said, it's something that um, is definitely reestablishing itself. Um, I believe I've also got to hand a code uh, which has been uh, uh, posted uh, through uh, a, a friend site of mine, which is Tripwire Magazine. Oh, right. If you, if you go to the site and use Tripwire Asylum, all one word, uh, you get 20% uh, off all orders yeah, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Do check that out. Um, it it's out. well it's well worth um, uh, giving it a, a, a punt and having a look. Asylumpress.com. Frank, it's been blistering to talk to you because all of this stuff that you're showing has been fantastic for you to share. Um, I really hope that um, Asylum does well. And I'm looking forward, uh, like I say, uh, to um, the, the projects you've got coming. And um, certainly uh, beyond Doomsday, I'm looking forward to. And um, the... Uh, the, the beyond Lovecraft as well. It, it's just certainly uh, it's it's got my it got my attention. Got my you, attention. You go to San Diego every year, so when they have San Diego again, you'll be there. Well, I mean, let's um, fingers crossed on that. That's going to be our next uh, topic of conversation. But um, we'll get into that next. Frank, thank you so much indeed thank for coming you, on, thank and you. enjoy the rest of your weekend, sir. Thank you. Thanks. Excellent stuff. Take care. So there you go. Once again, asylumpress.com. Do check out that uh, site for um, some great horror comics and also the other projects he's got coming up because um, there's a site that uh, is, or it's an imprint that's certainly uh, putting its feelings out in different styles. So it's very, very cool indeed. Right. Um, we're going to take a slight change of topic now. Um, and this is off the back of a list of um, conventions that I started put together because I wanted to just get a, an idea of uh, the uh, the shows that are on the way and considering that when I started racking it all up um, even when I took the word wrap off it started folding off the page and it was all within the next month it's just um, incredible at which point I then put a tweet out uh, saying that um, I felt that perhaps the conversation about virtual conventions had died off. Um, certainly since the uh, the DC fandom, things are just kind of quietened out. And maybe that uh, we had in fact reached that sense of um, a virtual convention fatigue. Someone argued with me and it's great to have him come on and talk to us about that. We've got, some, <laughs> we've got Chuck Load of, um, of uh, comics uh, joining us. Um, now Chuck, you may recognize his face, especially if you've tuned in like I have with Mainstream Comic-Con. Mainframe. I, uh, I am Mainframe okay. Comic-Con. Oh, dear <laughs> Lord. Um, which um, I'm a huge fan of. Um, I've certainly, from the, the first ones that you did at the beginning of the year, which were uh, very much a case of finding your feet, finding what you were doing with the platform, and finding what virtual conventions could be, to the shows that you are putting on, right now i mean the the latest edition of uh, mainframe was off the chart um and you've also you're also teaming up with baltimore as well um in not that uh, long to go uh, so it's been exciting to see uh, uh main uh, mainframe just grow and grow 
introduce yourself, uh, let people know about, certainly about you and about your background and how Mainframe came to be. Sure. Well, I mean, my name is Chuck Lindsay, Chuck Little Comics on YouTube. Um, you're right, man. This last Mainframe we did, uh, Mainframe uh, number three, actually, uh, uh, last month was just madness. It was like, you know, we, we keep evolving this thing and growing and saying, well, how, how big can we make this thing? How, how crazy can we get it? And we went from one panel hall in our first mainframe. And the last one, we had five panel halls going on simultaneously. We had uh, 175 guests, 60 something panels over the course of like 48 hours. So it was it was madness. Yeah, um, it, was a, yeah. it was a lot. It was a lot. Of, a lot of plates to be spun. You could just but we pulled could, it off. We did. I, I will be the first to tell you. I was thinking, okay, this something's gonna go down. Something bad's gonna happen. But somehow, by the grace of God, the whole thing went off without a hitch. But uh, basically, how it started was I'm mean, really the whole um, online Comic Con kind of movement uh, started obviously in the wake of uh, COVID. Uh, myself and and my friend uh, Chad Ramsden. Uh, we're both YouTubers, and we, throughout the year, we, like a lot of YouTubers, we go to various uh, physical conventions. We do, uh, you know, con coverage, that kind of thing. We were scheduled to go to Boston with Ace. We were scheduled to go to Orlando for MegaCon. We were scheduled to do uh, all these cons throughout the year. Of course, they all shut down. So we literally just talked to each other. It's like, why? What is it about the virtual, you know, what is it about uh, physical cons that you can't sort of simulate a little bit? you know, with this whole StreamYard culture and, uh, you know, the, the live YouTubing that's just everywhere. I'm like, yeah, we could do an online convention. Why not? And we were one of the first. I mean, Mainframe was one of the first ones to be on the scene. Like you said, it was, we were, we were you trial were very by much, fire. You were very much out of the gate. Yeah, absolutely. Trial by fire. What we found is that that first Mainframe, every, we set our sights so high. We were aiming for the stars as far as uh, celebrities and, uh, uh, you know, professionals in the industry, movie stars, television stars, people like Kevin Smith, and everybody we requested to be on the show said yes. I mean, it, it just blew us away because nobody even knew what it was. They were just like, oh, uh, I don't have to leave my house. I'm stuck in my house anyway because this was like when quarantine was quarantine. People were in their house, so everybody said yes. We had Kevin Smith. We had David Harbour. We had Clark Gregg. We had a reunion of the kids in the hall. We had a reunion of the cast of Clerks. We had just the comic book men on AMT. We, it was nuts. Nobody said no. So... We've tried to keep that momentum going. Uh, we've done three mainframe Comic Cons. Uh, you can watch clips of them on our YouTube channel and, of course, mainframecomiccon.com. And now we're launching Baltimore Comic Con virtually coming up yeah. uh, at the end of October. Because what I've really enjoyed about mainframe is the fact that you have taken it very much like a San Diego or a New York. You haven't um, locked on to a certain genre you haven't just locked on to comics you haven't just locked on to pop culture um some shows have uh, tried to kind of be uh, a uh, a father to all things um and it's been very difficult to kind of get that balance and mainframe has managed to pull it off uh, it's just been very impressive to see how it's been uh, like you're saying how it's grown I, I like the the fact that you mentioned as well that everyone just found themselves footloose and free available to kind of uh, take part it's very much the way that um this show has been over the course of lockdown uh, all, yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden my guest list went through the roof because they were available They're and available. they were they weren't they weren't doing anything and they were they were free to kind of come on and also just the fact um that the mainframe has been completely for charity. Like we haven't made a single nickel. We haven't accepted any money from anybody. We've been uh, doing donation buttons uh, on the event page where all the money that we raise goes directly to the Hero Initiative. 
So when you tell people they don't have to leave their house and it only takes an hour of their time and it's for charity, they kind of can't say no. So, this, is, this is true. And also, this you know, is, aim high. You know, it's like uh, until somebody tells you you can't do it, just go for it. And that's kind of what we did. When you launched Mainframe, like you were, like you say, you were one of the first ones out of the gate. You were finding your feet uh, pretty much like everybody else. But it was interesting to see even the big companies um, finding their feet and finding what to do with it. Uh, there were some stumbles. There were some that didn't quite manage to stick the landing. I mean, I can talk about uh, San Diego Comic-Con to some degree because I felt that there was... It, uh, while I got the idea of having literally a virtual IRL convention in that uh, panels were being launched on the hour, um, there's, there was a definite disconnect with the audience. And there's the, the way that some virtual conventions have been learning the ropes and learning how to do things bigger and better. How have you been seeing the landscape of virtual conventions grow from those, literally those Bambi steps back in March to where we are now? I mean, it's exploded, no doubt about it. I mean, every single month brings about, you know, three or four different virtual Comic-Cons. Um, you know, like I know uh, Reed Pop, they're doing their metaverse thing. Of course, everybody knows the DC fandom, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and they all have their own like really high quality parts and some things that maybe they should change. Um, I feel like you are well, missing okay, a lot. Let, when, let, when, let's, let's throw some mud here. Come on. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. I mean, well, let me, which, let me just which, say. which you feel did made the best strides and which ones do you feel didn't quite stick the landing? Um, I mean, I enjoyed all the elements of San Diego comic-con uh, at home. Obviously they didn't, I don't think they promoted it well enough. And I, I hate, I hate, I hate, all these virtual comic cons that aren't live because uh without that q a you know without that kind of live feel i mean look what we're doing right now i mean we're talking live there's there's no reason not to do it live because it's just you know everybody's it's a zoom culture we live in now um so i all of those were missing it i think uh missing that live element i know some of them they actually deactivate the live chats even in their youtube uh feeds so you can't even leave a comment with other fans i think that's kind of silly uh, the content's great. Um, Fandom was freaking awesome, but I felt it was a tad overproduced. I felt I was, <laughs> I was a little distracted with all the crazy virtual sets, you know. Uh, and it looked, I mean, it looked phenomenal. You know, when you're Warner Brothers, you got millions and millions and millions of dollars. When you've got a couple of interns that are really uh, handy with After Effects, you you let them go. Yeah, yeah. I think just they might have gone just a little bit overboard uh, with the, the, the Flash. Um, but, you know, I think... We're all learning as we go. I think the most important part of it is the live element. If I was to give one piece of advice to the the big dogs, it's go live, man. I mean, that, that's what the fans want. That's what fans adore, and that's why they're going to share it with their friends. It's holy, I don't know if I can curse. Um, holy no, crap! You can go ahead. No, okay, gonna, yeah, holy shit! Kevin Smith's live with with this guy, and he's answering questions. I mean, that's why you know why not do it live? We're a Zoom culture. Sure, uh, certainly. I mean, that when they announced the Kevin Smith panel, I just thought Kevin Smith's primary drive is a live audience mm -hmm. he he thrills off that i mean the the, the difference between i mean okay uh, beyond fat man or batman fat man beyond is a great show but it's certainly uh, a contrast between that and having him on stage with a microphone facing six and a half thousand and feeding off that and you just you you definitely feel it um but um when they announced it i was wondering 
are they should they just make this one a live one and also i think they should have also uh, put up a unbleeped version because it started to sound a little bit like the heart monitor that he was attached to two years ago a lot of beeps a lot of beeps uh we've got some um, uh, karen session i mean yeah uh i'm defending sdcc they did not have a lot of time i'd also say they didn't have a great deal of um people involved because the sdcc uh, comic-con international were working on a skeleton crew so what they put together fair play to them i i mean i i i watched it all i reported on it i yeah i, I made karen. i made absolutely oh karen um, i don't want to i don't want to give the impression that i didn't like it because like i said i mean i i enjoyed so many of those I like the real i love the boys panels. i love i like the big stuff i like the boys panel i like the um uh, the the new mutants panel got me excited about new mutants. I mean, what they did, they totally pulled it off. Um, I just feel like the little bit of live action would have been a little added a little bit to it. Sure. Uh, and uh, solicitous Meg, it feels like everything they did for virtual SDCC should have been done done a long time ago because they're just common sense things uh, to not do it because it can't be done IRL. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we kind of brought this conversation up when they announced um, uh, the the virtual element in Comic -Con, San Diego Comic Con at home. Um, that this was basically what we have been wanting as Comic Con fans worldwide for years. Uh, they dropped the ball with Comic Con HQ, um, but this basically what they were doing uh, for Comic Con at home was what we've been asking for all this time. The panels put out. So more people can enjoy them. I mean, uh, the amount the, of uh, panel organizers that have turned around and said that we have had a bigger audience for our panel than we would have had if it was being run in the convention center. Yeah, and it's really not new because people forget um, Star Wars Celebration. You know, the people, it's Reed Pop, people that put on C2E2, they put on New York Comic Con, they do Star Wars Celebration in a different place in the country every single year. And they've always uh, broadcast their panels live on YouTube, they've been doing it for years. That's how I've been watching Star Wars Celebration this whole time. So the, the the model has been there for a long time and I'm really surprised that like San Diego and C2E2 and stuff like that hasn't been doing it for more years than just now. And I think it's definitely gonna be the way it goes moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, which kind of begs the question then for how that's going to be for people like yourself uh, f that are putting on these shows, which are then gonna have to compete against uh, these big shows which are finally starting to get the uh, the model right like you say um you've got metaverse which is um uh, it's already had one attempt at it um and it did what it did but now it's doing the new york comic-con version and it's going to yeah. take everything that they're doing up a notch it's gonna be huge i mean it's they're, they're partnering huge. with amazon prime for crying out loud i don't know if it's gonna be streaming on amazon prime but uh it's their main sponsor i feel like that first metaverse was sort of their test yeah, because uh, they were already planning for New York. Uh, they didn't make the announcement until just you know about a month ago that they weren't doing New York physical, but everybody knew that was coming. Sure. So, uh, so you've got all of these shows coming up. Um, is it going to even be back to where we were with the IRL uh, conventions, where it's going to be difficult to actually get guests because there's so many of these shows happening? I mean. Like I said, I was talking about the shows that we've got uh, coming up, uh, and I, we've got, um, I mean, we've had the X, um, um, CXC uh, Cartoon Crossroads this weekend. We've had Mad Cave Showcase this weekend. We've had Supercon. Uh, we've got Metaverse next weekend, uh, Lakes next weekend, Comic, o Comic Con Line. Um, I like that. Which, that's a good name. Yes. Oh, God, that's good. Uh, <laughs> although they have put on their socials, it's the Comic Online. 
And I'm thinking, if you're going to put the in the title, you better step up, boo. And yeah. good grief, you better step yourself up. I'm a con line. How come nobody yeah. thought of that? Yeah. <laughs> you've got, obviously, yourselves with Baltimore. You've got Thought Bubble at the beginning of next month. You've got all of these shows. Um, most of them that I'm seeing, James Tynan is appearing on most of them. At which point, he's going to be online. His his data bill is going to be quite impressive. No so at which point it then starts becoming um, interesting about how you're going to survive in that kind of uh, landscape. Yep. I mean, what has been the conversations you've had with your partners and with the guests about just fighting off all that attention? Can I sling a little more mud? Go for it. Um, something that we've noticed, and I just I just got to bring it up. I'm not going to name any names, but there are some of the, the larger cons are, and this this is just asinine to me. I mean, to get it, let me explain. Uh, essentially, they're making their guests sign non-competes to where if you do our con, now, you can't do another con for another year. And I get it, you know, you're, they're, they're a business, they're trying to make money, they don't want to saturate the market, but at the same time, this is for the fans, man. We're trying to get, we're trying to build the fan culture, keep it alive, keep the convention culture going until maybe one day we get to open back up. So I think... That's definitely been one of our roadblocks that we've hit um, is these non-competes that people are starting to put into place. Um, also, we're getting guests um, that are just that they're having a little bit of fatigue. You talk about uh, James Tynan. When you do one of these every single week, they just kind of get tired of them. We, we hit that on mainframe three a little bit with some of the bigger name guests. Uh, they still did the show, but they just said, look, you know, I'm kind of burnt out. I've been doing a lot of these things. So. It is harder, and people are starting to ask for money. Like I said, the first mainframe, nobody said no. Everybody said yes. Uh, now we're starting to hear more from the managers. We're starting really? to hear more from the agents saying, okay, well, what's it going to pay? So that's why we had to actually um, install sort of a paid meet-and-greet element uh, to mainframe three. It's always been free for the fans to watch, but we do have that uh, extra element that it's an opportunity for, for the celebrities to make money because we, we were still for charity, but... You're going to start seeing more and more of that. I think you're going to start seeing more paid meet and greets, more paid panels, you know, kind of like the ticketed events you see at some of the larger conventions. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's harder to book guests and people are starting to circle their wagons around their, their big cons with their non-competes and stuff. So I don't like it. I get it. I don't think it's good for the, the you know, Comic-Con community. Sure. Enough I mean, mud. It's, it, it, mud. No, 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 no. It, it, it makes sense because, I mean, when uh, we were in lockdown and when uh, COVID uh, over the course of the summer was really hitting hard and people were very much starving for content and they were looking to a way to connect and guests were looking for a way to connect with an audience, the virtual conventions gave them that. It gave them that um, ability to uh, continue the conversation with their audience even while the IRL uh, shows weren't going ahead. I'm, it, it, it was almost inevitable that the, uh, the, the monetary element was going to start coming in, especially when you have the likes of DC Fandom and um, the uh, the mainframe, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, the Metaverse uh, conventions, when you have basically the businesses involved and when, like I say, the agents start making their uh, their, their presence known. That's that's unfortunate. Um, it, 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 it's back to where we were with the, uh, the conventions and when... Stephen Amell started bragging about um, bin bags full of money uh, being yeah. counted in, in back rooms. And uh, it's it's the reason why this show exists is to be a funnel for the community that uh, attends conventions. And I think 
uh, that's another element of what uh, I'm going to go on to, uh, that uh, the, the relationship with the audience can get eroded when basically the money starts showing, re rearing its head. I mean, you know, these people, they're their business. They've got employees. they got to pay. They don't want to fire people. Sure. They want to make money. But it's just... It's sad when, because right at the beginning, you know, it was such a, a, a fan made. It was just very punk rock indie thing to do, putting on these virtual Comic Cons. And now you see the big businesses coming in and kind of, like I said, circling their wagons and sort of trying. It's making it harder for the, you know, everyday YouTuber to put on something fun. Well, I mean, you've kind of uh, helped yourself out in that regard because you've partnered up with uh, someone who I'm a huge fan of anyway, which is uh, John Suntress. From Word Balloon, um, which is somebody who has so many contacts and um, knows so many people in the industry, and he can bring so much to uh, the uh, the party. And you have been partnering with a whole bunch of other people as well, because I've noticed the way that you did Main Mainframe Three was that you basically allowed their YouTube channel to host Mainframe. Yep. Um, how did that kind of conversation come about, and was it tempting to? create additional channels yourself to kind of keep it all under one banner no we're, we've we're all part of a large youtube community that just grows every single day especially under lockdown um it started out with my show chuck load of comics another youtube channel called uh, the comic core which you've probably heard about if you haven't yeah. make sure you subscribe to the comic core and uh, a channel called the chump cast so it's it the three of us put on mainframe number one and just we're this big YouTube community. So other YouTubers wanted to get involved. Other YouTubers kind of came on board. We couldn't have done YouTube, mainframe three without six YouTube channels. Cause we had it, we had six different panel halls going on simultaneously. So we had them going on six different channels, uh, all broadcasting on their Facebooks and their YouTubes. And um, so it's evolved. We've, you talk about John Suntress, awesome guy to have on our team. We, we've really assembled a pretty kick-ass team of YouTubers, podcasters and uh, convention goers. And just kind of fans of the of the industry, like I said, to put on this sort of you know indie punk rock kind of uh, tell me I was listening. I, I, I was bouncing from hall to hall uh, on the last mainframe. Yeah, it I was, was fun. It was it, it was. I mean, it was. And like I say, I think the variety of uh, the panels that you, you you're putting on was quite impressive as well. But um, yeah, Suntress has been phenomenal. Big shout out to Word Balloon and, and John Suntress. He's the guy knows everybody. You always got to have that one person on the team that just literally knows everybody. You have a meeting like, oh, could we get Tom King? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, let me call him. Yeah, Tom King's in. It's like, oh, God, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the thing that kind of prompted uh, yourself coming on uh, the show was that uh, the tweet that I put out about um, convention fatigue, uh, the, the, the sense that I felt that Post DC fandom, certainly, the conversation about virtual cons online, on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on social media, has kind of ground to a halt. Um, or at least it doesn't feel like there's a real buzz about shows anymore. You kind of went, okay, first you went amazing post, uh, which was very generous of you. But then you kind of said you feel that there is still some excitement there but you have to kind of capture it it's almost like lightning in a bottle could we i mean can we talk about that a bit i mean do you feel that there is a sense of <laughs> there's a lot of these shows happening yeah i mean it is sadly you know it does get a little bit saturated and you know while i i, I don't want to agree with you i think that's why i uh, tweeted you back and said no 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 don't be crazy but you're absolutely right i mean there is a little bit of this fatigue and it is hard to generate uh, momentum 
we found that out with uh, mainframe two because we just tried to go from we jumped right into it like a couple weeks later and we didn't have the momentum in number two that we had in number one and we learned that um so it's i feel like you just, you got to plan them out further in advance you know you got to give yourself it's just like with uh, maybe the first metaverse maybe a little bit uh, like what the viewer said about san diego comic-con is they just didn't have a lot of time to ramp up for it um it's it, it, we're gonna have to start planning these things out six months in advance you know sure. like a long time in advance because yeah, when there's one every two weeks, yeah, there is some fatigue. The trick that we've found is always be changing, always be evolving. What's going on in Baltimore is like nothing anybody's ever seen. They've got elements of Baltimore Comic Con we can talk about later that has never been done before, never been tried before. It's going to be like a show no one's ever seen. It's not just going to be, you know, Q&A panels and the occasional, you know, run read through of a comic book. It's going to be, they got some amazing uh, programming. So that's it. You're like changing it, keeping it fresh. Because people do get bored, you know, like I said, the Zoom culture, people get bored of just two talking heads talking about their project for an hour, okay, and then move on to the next talking head talking about their project for an hour. You got to come up with new ideas. Sure. Uh, we talked to uh, I'm, Mark, I'm still, Mark I'm, Miller. I'm, 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 I'm still waiting for Zoom to sort out its audio because I am I swear to God, my hearing over the course of Fandom and uh, SDCC Online and after a whole bunch of conventions uh, that are happening week after week, my hearing started to go a little bit oh, no. off because that high pitch compression that Zoom does, it just it started to get a little bit painful after a while. Oh God, I hope that's not the case with StreamYard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think we're I think we're okay. I think we've, we're all right. So you, I interrupted. You were talking about was it Mark Miller? Mark, yeah, Mark Miller. Just as a small example, and I could talk about Baltimore for another hour. But, go for um, it. Um, well, we all have the shit we got to do. But uh, Mark Miller, just for an example, like some of the some of the fun stuff. I want to talk about the guests, but some of the more uh, funner content going on at Baltimore Comic Con. If I can plug it real quick, it's October twenty third to the twenty fifth. So it's going to start off on a Friday night, and it's going to run all the way through Sunday. It's going to run all day from like noon to midnight, twelve hours a day, craziness with I think three different panel halls. But uh, Mark Miller, for example, he wanted to. He didn't want to just come on and talk about kick-ass. You know, he didn't want to come on and talk about the Kingsman. He's like, I'll talk about fucking everything. He's an Irishman, you know, so he's uh, he's like, I'll talk about anything, but I just want to drink. I just want to, you know, have a good old time. I'm going to talk about everything I'm doing at Netflix. I don't give a fuck. And he's just like, so he's like, can we call it Miller's Pub? And we all just kind of hang out and drink and stuff. And I'm like, dude, that sounds awesome. Uh, Please but, tell you know, me that's going to be at the back end of the What's 8 o'clock your time is noon our time, so <laughs> you're kicking off day two, man. We can't get hammered right at the beginning of the show. <laughs> but uh, he's so excited about that. We, we're doing live game shows with um, kind of a win time, Ben Stein's money kind of thing with uh, Tom Brevoort nice. from Marvel. So we're going to have all these comic book creators coming on, and they're going to play like Jeopardy against each other to see who knows mo more about. It's actually BaltimoreComicOnLive.com okay. is the website. Um, I can do, I can edit that. <laughs> we got that going on. We've got um, we were doing a live drink and draw, which is going to be a fun ticketed event where we've got twenty. We got like ten comic book creators, like the top names, top artists. The list will be announced this week, and you can buy a ticket. You can sit in the Zoom with them, and they're all just going to you know be sketching and drinking and sketching and drinking. And then with your ticket, you get to keep the sketch. So we're going to sell nice. I think a hundred tickets to this thing, so everybody can just hang out together. You're guaranteed to get a a sketch from one of the top names in the comic book industry. That's going to run for like two hours on Friday night. And of course the live Ringo awards, which is, we're so excited about one of the things that makes Baltimore Baltimore is the Mike Ringo 
um, comic book awards. It's it's you know it's right up there with the Eisners. It's it sure is very much a coveted award, and so we're actually going to do them live in real time. We are in talks with Kevin Smith to host it. We're in talks with um, uh, who's a guy from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm and the Goldbergs, um, Jeff Garland. All We're right, talking yes. about maybe doing Kevin Smith and Jeff Garland uh, hosting the thing because oh, I'm broadcasting from Chicago right now, and Kevin Smith's going to be in Chicago with his new movies pop up bar or his pop up restaurant. The movies is going to be in Chicago, so we might be doing the Ringos live from movies with Kevin and Jay. Wow! I mean, it, it's, it, we got an entire room devoted just for uh, to to kids comics and stuff where kids can actually learn how to draw comics and draw comic book characters live in real time with the artists. To me, very kind of play along and sing along. The list of guests is oh, Evil Ted Smith. I don't know if all you cosplayers out there, he's going to be doing a live demonstration. He's going to build a foam prop, like a foam helmet, live in real time uh, in the show. And people can, you know, ask questions totally live, real time in the chat board. We got John Campia coming on, doing a showing the first look of his new movie. Joel Jones, Lloyd Kaufman's going to be there signing autographs. Uh, I'm still waiting on someone to talk about Mark Wade and about his um, the, the court case because I want him to slam dunk some of these guys. I, really I don't do. think I don't think we'll do any of that. <laughs> no, but Mark that's, Wade actually, it, it's really cool. He's doing. Um, you see right here, Susan Eisenberg. She's the voice of Wonder Woman on the Justice League. They're they're taking Mark Wade's Kingdom Come comic book, and Mark Wade's going to be moderating that panel. And we've got Susan Eisenberg and uh, George Newbern, who is the voice of Superman in the Justice League. They're going to be doing the voices of Wonder Woman and Superman. They're going to read through Kingdom Come live on air with Mark Wade moderating. It's going to be freaking amazing. Nice. I mean, it is one hell of a lineup. I mean, it's great to see Chaykin on a, uh, on a, a lineup. I love so, Howard. Howard's I, so much fun. He's just, just the craziest dude. Isn't he just? Great to see Dennis Cowan because he came over to the UK. So it's been, uh, I'm a big fan of him as a panel guest because he really will just talk about anything he's very loose, very free, very, a very cool dude. And a lot of um, these guests are going to be doing multiple panels. Like we got uh, Tom King doing like, he's going to be doing the Watchmen panel with, uh, um, drawing a blank here, uh, not Conway. Anyway, so we got Tom <laughs> King's going to be on three different panels. Um, Howard Chaykin's going to be on a couple different panels. It's going to be great, man. We got way more coming. Uh, the, the first wave of panels are going to get announced uh, tomorrow on Monday. Cool. So go to Baltimore Comic Con Live for that first glimpse of some of the awesome stuff that's going to be happening in Baltimore. And of course, uh, theconventioncollective.com uh, will be uh, summarizing all the uh, the panel updates as well. Uh, awesome. we'll put, there you go. That's me putting my little uh, thing out into the air. But like um, I said, you got to keep changing, man. You got to keep evolving. You can't just stick on, you know, the, the six talking heads talking about their upcoming project. You got to, the way to beat fatigue, this has been a long answer to a short question, is just, <laughs> Come up with new ideas, man. Keep it fresh. Keep it live. Keep it fun. The one thing that San Diego tried to do, indeed a number of uh, the conventions have tried to do, um, is solve the problem of the retailers that have uh, usually had a table and uh, are really have been de depending on a lot of income um, from the convention um, uh, calendar over the course of 2020. All of that income which has been uh, taken away from them a lot of conventions have tried to make that um, element available virtually. And it's one, it's one element for me which hasn't quite worked. 
Do you feel there's anywhere that has gotten the closest to actually creating that kind of over-the-table experience, the, uh, the, the, the ability to get money changing hands with a, a creator? You're 100% right, and uh, that's really the reason that Baltimore Comic-Con Online is even existing, as a way to, to try and help out these exhibitors that were going to be at the physical con. They count on this uh, to keep their businesses afloat, and so we're doing it. You're right. No one's done it right. It's it's hard when you know, why why buy it from this comic book website when I could just go to Amazon and buy it. So something we're doing at Baltimore in an in an effort to raise money for these people is we're doing a Thursday night auction. So we are still going to have the exhibitors uh, on the website, but each one of those exhibitors is going to have an opportunity to ship us uh, some exclusive products, and we're going to do a live like six hour auction to where we're actually going to be selling. Their products, we have it physically right there for each one of the exhibitors, just as a way to kind of tickle the buying bone and get people excited. You know, hey, we got two copies of this Spider-Man comic. Once it's gone, it'll be available tomorrow at the con in, you know, in, in the exhibitor thing. So it's kind of QVC style. You know, we got five sure. of these statues. And when they're gone, don't worry, you can buy them tomorrow at the convention. So that that's something we're trying to do because you really do got to kind of tickle the buying bone and you got to convince people to go in there you know why would you buy that t-shirt from baltimore comic con live.com when you could buy it you know anywhere yeah. so I, it, it's interesting that you use qvc because that was actually going to be the example i was going to uh, say that was i'm surprised that no one's created that i mean like you say you've got the multiple halls uh, that's that separate track of inviting creators on for 10 15 minutes to sell their wares, put their foot, their uh, items forward and actually put them up on screen, show the links and actually Hold talk them. about them and make that yeah. connection with an audience. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that more haven't done that to kind of... That's a great idea. Just to use, use the video, <laughs> use, the, use the video track and, and just kind of... Because at the end of the day, the, the uh, retailers or the, 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 the exhibitors, they're kind of sat there twiddling their thumbs as well. They're yeah. wanting to. They're wanting to connect. Um, so, while you've got all these video tracks going on, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that no one's taken that one. To that's a next. great idea. I mean, that's 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 what it's going to take. Exactly what you just you said. Just I hope need, everybody's you need, watching. You need, to you need to find someone with a sparkly suit and with a, the the full QVC set. And just... Oh, without a doubt, <laughs> you, you got to have somebody with really pretty hands. <laughs> who's okay doing close-ups a freshly manicured hand and uh just selling statues and stuff there that's a fan up phenomenal idea and if we ever do it we're gonna have you on to uh, be oh. our qvc host thank you <laughs> um i don't know what, what my energy is going to be like because i mean i uh long uh days of uh conventions uh, virtual conventions um, I do start flagging. I'm not going to lie, and I'm, I'm stunned at how you do it. I really am very impressed with the way that you guys uh, hold your energy up over the course of uh, a day. Um, <laughs> when 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 do you, when do you start flagging, and what are, what are your tips to kind of keep things the energy up? Just be prepared, man. Be extra prepared and, and start drinking right around the, the fourth <laughs> the fourth quarter, and you're good. I can imagine the uh, the, the the Red Bull gets um, yeah nectar. a lot of yeah, a lot when, of when that starts going in when that goes intravenous you know you're in in trouble just you know take a cue from Jerry Lewis man just like do a panel you know take a step back chill out and then dive right back in it ain't gonna last forever it's not a twenty four hour con although I'm sure those are coming 
that is going to be the, one of the next uh, questions I wanted to ask about the whole idea of um, the timing and when to put these on. Because obviously, for yourselves, obviously you 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 work on the time frame and the the time zone that you're you're in. Um, but then you look at things the way that DC Fandom did, and they did that twenty-four uh, hour broadcast. Yeah, or was it twenty-four? And yeah, admittedly, yes, it was the same content repeated with eight-hour um, eight blocks. But um, yeah, you're right. The uh, the whole idea of a twenty-four hour event for the worldwide audience. I mean, we've got Andrew English who's uh, making the the comment. Conven uh, conventions are saturated, but geography used to help. Now everything is online. Now the world is your your, your audience, and I think that's. Um, I, I'm I'm certain that you must be thrilled when you get those comments coming in uh, on the Q and A and on the chat from. Oh, that's the best. Far afield. Yeah. Hey, man. I'm 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 just watching in Singapore. Holy crap! Someone's watching this. What time is it in Singapore? Um, <laughs> do we but, do we need subtitles? But that is yeah exactly. That's actually another big thing because if you're broadcasting on YouTube, if you don't have ten thousand subscribers on your YouTube channel, you don't get automatic subtitles. So you gotta you have to cater to you know the hearing impaired audience. You gotta start taking into account time zones as well. Because that's something we did with the first mainframe. We sort of catered it to the East Coast. And we're like, wait a second. Half our audience, half our guests are coming in from the West Coast. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning for them. We had Boss Logic, who's out in uh, Melbourne, Australia. And he was his, he was doing his panel at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning over in Melbourne. So you really got to take that stuff into consideration. And maybe a 24-hour con is the way to really draw in a worldwide audience. Although, what God, what a pain in the ass it would be to do for twenty four <laughs> hours straight. Um, if there's anyone who can pull it off, I think uh, mainframe is the. Oh, the I'm sure we're going there. I'm it's, sure we're heading that direction. <laughs> cool. Uh, to Listerus Meg, I listen. I don't know what on earth I've set myself up for here and why I open my mouth, but the real question: Does Leonard have a rhinestone studded suit uh, suit to wear? No, I don't. But listen. I do. I'll I'll get. Oh I'll ship okay. it to you, man. <laughs> this is going to be a fun year. Okay, listen. Um, I'm looking forward to Baltimore. I I, I like to say I've I've been a big fan of uh, what Mainframe have done uh, up to now, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, promote? Anything you'd like to uh, put forward before we? wrap things up no we're just really pushing baltimore comic-con live and if you're watching this and you didn't know it existed please share it because like we talked about ad nauseum just now promotion is everything you know getting the word out because there's so many of them going on so please tell people about baltimore comic-con live.com share it on social media uh monday we're gonna get the first panel drops so check it out monday we got some amazing stuff. Uh, Scotty Young's going to be coming, and he never does virtual Comic-Con. Scotty Young has told us no on all three mainframes. He didn't do New York. He didn't do San Diego. He didn't do anything. He's doing Baltimore because it's Baltimore. Baltimore is one of the biggest uh, conventions for comic book creators. Like It's the one that the comic book creators really love. So he said, Baltimore, yeah, I'll do it. So I'm incredibly lucky. Somehow I've managed to land him for a November appearance on this wow. show. You are lucky. Um, he hates doing he hates doing these Zoom things, man. He's like, I love you guys. I love what you're doing. I just that's not my thing. So um, hold on to that one, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be making damn sure I put check in regularly to make sure he's available to do it. But um also with Scotty Young as well. Um he's starting to get his head around YouTube. He's starting to get his head around monetizing YouTube and his audience. So yes, um I'm hoping that there isn't gonna be a, a uh, 
<laughs> a docu sign uh, document heading in my direction where I have to sign something in the near future. But Could be. Well, we won't make them sign a non compete. Don't worry. We're not like those other Good guys. Man. Good man. <laughs> Listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much indeed for coming on. And um, yeah, this all came off the back of uh, a tweet that I put out with a little bit of frustration for myself. I think you've kind of allayed my fears a little bit. Uh, and like you say, um, I'm hoping that um, if virtual cons are the established norm now, that events like yourself really do set the stall for uh, good quality conventions going forward, because that's what I feel you've done. Uh, I'm so. excited about the future for it, because like I said, I don't belittle the, I won't talk too much about this, but I mean, the way they're evolving, the way they're getting better, the way people are getting more creative with them. I'm excited about the future for virtual events and whatever you know, keeps us alive until we can actually meet together again in real life. There's uh, that, isn't there? We, at least it's something free we can all do. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much indeed for coming on. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, for Baltimore and for everything else that Mainframe's got coming down the pipe. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Leonard. And it's been a pleasure. Uh, big shout out to Frank. He did an amazing job. Thank you. And uh, listen, I'd love to get you back on uh, later on down the line. I mean, maybe beginning of next year or even towards the end of this year when we do start seeing where we are with virtual cons and like you say how the big guns maybe have uh, uh, changed the landscape a bit great I think fantastic that, i think that'll be i think that'll be an interesting conversation to have i completely so, agree yeah. keep up the great work get that uh, get fitted for that rhinestone suit because we'll be calling you thank you um as <laughs> so long as i get those I nails know. manicured man there's gonna be a lot of extreme hand close-ups have, have i got that yeah okay we'll go with that <laughs> thank you very much indeed for coming on take care all right, man, have a good one. You too. Brilliant. Um, thank you very much indeed for Chuck for coming on. Once again, uh, if you haven't uh, been, or if you haven't checked out a mainframe Comic Con, I mean, we did have a, the comment uh, from earlier. Um, where is it? Uh, yeah, Aaron Nabus, who turned around props to mainframe Comic Con, enjoyed them very much. I am a huge fan of those shows and what they've been doing. Uh, so very much going forward. Check out that site. And uh, the, uh, the uh, URL is right there. Baltimore Comic Con Live. Do check it out. Thank you very much indeed for watching. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, we had two interesting conversations about uh, a publisher that's wanting to really establish themselves on a very crowded uh, comics uh, shelf. And likewise, with um, uh, the uh, Baltimore Comic Con and with Mainframe, it's another uh, aspect of our fandom, which is getting very crowded. Uh, but um, it's been fun to see the whole thing evolve across all the, the platforms. Right, um, I do want to share uh, something in terms of what we've got coming up in the next uh, few uh, weeks and months, uh, considering we've got ourselves some great guests coming up. And um, yeah, Frank Forte we have today. Next week, Jason Inman is going to be joining us. Um, he's going to be an interesting guy to talk to. Um, certainly somebody who's uh, hosted for Mainframe. Um, he's uh, uh, someone who, if you read comics or if you know your fandom, Jason Inman is someone who's passionate. Uh, he knows his stuff, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him. On Sunday, it's going to be a little bit of a show like this. It's going to be a double header. Uh, we're going to start with a conversation with Monty Nero, who is an uh, independent uh, comics artist who's got himself a couple of projects which he wants to talk about. But then Mark Serby is going to be coming on as well, and he's going to be talking to us about um, London uh, Film Comic Con, or London Film Festival, which is happening... Oh, I think it's it's either happening soon or it's uh, it's recently happened. 
It's going to be interesting to talk to Mark, especially with the news that came out today uh, with, of course, Cineworld here in the UK uh, suspending all of its um, screens until the new year indefinitely off the back of the, uh, the putting back of No Time to Die, the latest James Bond film, to Easter. At which point you have to then start thinking about how... I mean, I was hoping that we were going to be seeing some kind of indefinite end to this, where we were going to see the return of... Uh, uh, IRL co conventions. We were going to see the uh, the opening up of uh, things like cinemas and uh, all sorts of content. I was hoping that we were going to see that soon, and I was, at the very least at uh, the beginning of next year. But now things are starting to look a little bit dicey. So it's going to be a bit of a, an interesting conversation to talk to Mark Serby. Then on Sunday, the 25th of October, we've got Milton Lawson talking to us as well. Like I say, those other um, uh, episodes that are coming up, um, I'm hoping that we're going to get uh, the creative team behind Crossover. Um, yes, uh, this is a new book that's coming from uh, Image. It comes at the beginning of next month. Uh, I've been enjoying do, doing these episodes where uh, you we get the creative team uh, behind a book and getting them in to talk about their upcoming project. Crossover is an interesting one in that it, the concept's really simple. Imagine all of your superheroes from everything, from DC, from Marvel, from Image, from Aftershock, from Vault, from, all of, from Boom, from all of these places, suddenly appearing above the skies and fighting one big giant comic book melee, that big splash page, except it's happening for real. And the real world is getting absolutely smacked down. It's a cracking concept because then you really can bring Spider-Man and Batman into the same panel. You can refer to them as being those two things that are bringing down a building. That's the building I work in. What the hell is going on? It's a really cool concept. Donny Cates is behind it. Um, you've also got um, some amazing talent behind it. We're trying our best to get them guys on the show to do a episode about crossover. Donny Cates has liked the tweet. Fingers crossed. Likewise, uh, the guys behind Vault Comics. We've had individual members of the Vault Comics team come on before. We're going to do our best to bring them all in uh, and have a Vault Comics special again at the beginning of next month. So fingers crossed on that one. Um, Amanda Dybert, we're going to be having her on the show. Uh, like I say, Scotty Young is on the way. We've got ourselves some great guests. So do stick with us. Like, subscribe, hit that button. Hit that bell and it tells you when we go live, especially if we're doing any incidental episodes, those that are off the beaten track and away from our Sunday schedule. So please do like and subscribe and uh, follow what we're doing below. So there we go. Um, let's have a look at this. Um, Dan Berry talking about um, the uh, Cineworld closure also affects the Regal Edwards change in the States, which is huge. That I didn't know. Wow, uh, is it the same time frame? Is it they they're looking at Easter? They have they got a date announced? That's interesting. Can you please, uh, yeah, message me about that? Didn't realise that that was connected. That's that's insane. Into the blue, Mister Mark is always a fun guest, isn't he? Just Mark Serby is great to uh, going to be having him on. Uh, Jason Inman is awesome. Looking forward to it. Says Aaron Nabus. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to Jason because he's uh, always a fun. Yeah, he's, he's a fun... I've never talked to him before, so I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to him. And then Dan Berry. I'm excited that Man Man is going to be in the crossover title. I'm just excited about everyone that's excited that's going to be in the crossover title. Um, 
it's going to be interesting because this has been a year of big event books. And I don't just mean Empire or um, Fantastic Four versus Avengers or something. I don't mean those kind of events. I'm on about big headline-grabbing titles. Um, the Department of Truth. Um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the books that have come... Uh, Berserker from um, um, Keanu Reeves. All of these titles are vying for your attention and they are wanting to be the next next big thing so yeah really interesting to uh, talk about all of this stuff so yeah looking forward to it that's our show thank you very much indeed for watching i hope you enjoyed it don't forget i'm going to be here again next week with jason inman 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern 6 p.m gmt uh, for myself leonard from frank forte and from chuck from uh, mainframe comic con Thanks for your company. Thanks for joining us. Take care, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye.